Hi, I'm Saleh. And I have no bits this week. I'm Christian, and this is Two Shades of Brown. It's the WWDC. We we cannot no bits. No bits. No no bits. Episode 182. Let's get started. Let's get let's get started. So uh WWDC uh twenty twenty two happened uh this past week. Uh and it was partially a live, not a live event. There was an in person. There was an in person event at Apple Park, right? Uh, with some an in person experience, in person <laughs> experience, you know, hashtag, hashtag experience, uh, where where people got uh like they 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 sat outside and watched the keynote on 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 a project like very good projector screen the most expensive projector screen possible uh, actually this was a bright california day and there was no cover and they literally like like that's a very like when you to make to make a projector have good color reproduction when you're combating the sun yeah, it's very is, expensive that's one expensive I mean, you know apple spent like a gazillion dollars for that for sure uh and uh, there's also a developer center thing. Uh, if you want to have more details about that, uh, I would recommend go listen to the Under the Radar episode uh, that came out. Uh, is actually not 30 minutes this week. Uh, it's slightly longer than 30 minutes because it's a special episode with uh, with some guests on. So go go listen to that if you want details about like the the new Apple developer center. Uh, if you're an Apple developer, uh, so let's get started. Uh, we are for the sake of uh, keeping this. Uh, at a reasonable length, we have eliminated certain things that Apple did mention in the WWDC uh, main keynote. Well, we have dropped CarPlay from we the have, lineup. We have dropped CarPlay from the lineup <laughs> because neither of us, neither of us drive, and we certainly do not have cars that uh, have CarPlay. So, and we're also dedicating as much time to TVOS and HomePod OS. <laughs> Apple did, which is none. none. <laughs> they completely like I. The thing is. It didn't occur to me until after the keynote was finished that they did not talk about TV. Because I sent you a message, <laughs> yes. right? I think we we're talking about a telegram, but I'm like, wait, where the fuck was TVOS? <laughs> they, <did not>. they, <laughs> completely, they completely forgot about TVOS. So we are not going to talk about TVOS. There's not really anything to talk about. So, you know, if it's not in the keynote, that Apple thinks it's not important for them to share. So it's not important for us to talk about either, I don't think. So let's get started. Uh, we're going to have links for the, the keynote videos and the platform State of the Union, uh, but we're going to start with. Uh, iOS, right? Uh, the, which was, you know, the, the sort of the mo- most, the biggest sort of announcements I think came out of iOS. Um, Technically, they spent the most time on the Mac section. Actually, that's true. Actually, actually, they did spend more time on macOS Ventura, which I guess is a sign of, I guess, because of the new hardware stuff, which we'll get to get to later. But let's start let's start with uh, iOS. Uh, so the big, big, big iOS thing with iOS sixteen is lock screen customization right lock screen uh you can now put widgets on the lock screen you can now change the font of the clock on the lock screen right you can also which is this is going to be my favorite actually is linking focus modes to lock screen customizations you can have a certain focus mode change the lock screen to a different one that you want so, and I think that is actually very, very awesome. Like, uh, like I do, I've started using focus modes more, and it has been useful to me personally. Uh, and I'm glad that they're integrating focus mode and uh, with, with this kind of stuff. Uh, so you can do things like uh, change the font and color of the of the clock. You can add like a weather widget. That you can add like you know like diff- are these like new widget sizes? Like some of these are new widget sizes, right? Like, these are complications basically from the from the watch complications 
Yeah, so these are literally the same APIs to make watch complications are for the lock screen widget. So you're just adding watch complications to it. So you can have uh, you can have multiple of these, right? You can you can switch between them. You can uh, and and the next big thing about the lock screen that changed is I don't know if this is the year, bro. I don't think this. We are on the way to getting better notifications on iOS. It's it's not quite there yet, but this year we get this notifications sort of collection like coming up from the bottom right not instead of like like they're like they're in the stack in the bottom right and they you can hide them and they'll show the number of notifications uh how do, how do you like how do you feel about this like what are you feelings on this on this sort of new way of like surfacing like notifications on the lock screen like is that is that like a good thing or i i, don't, I mean it, it'll really be i think visually it looks better right like visually it looks better but the the, the core issue is here is I, I love the um customizability of it i love how it's sort of like a mini watch face builder right sort of on the lock screen um it's very similar how you design apple watch from watch faces if you own one the thing is though notifications are still the same notifications on ios right they don't have the androids you know sorting feature prioritization feature right so they android is still doing it better and and they did not touch the core notification experience the lock screen got changed but not notifications i think that's an important distinction so while i like the lock screen changes nothing happened to notifications themselves outside of um live activities live activities is the biggest like actual change to notifications and live activities is essentially a, a widget that updates in live in in live like the time basically right what would you say would you say that this is maybe a tile of information that is alive <sighs> yeah i i, I, this, I, I <laughs> that that was you you i set that up for real well yeah live tiles remember folks uh windows windows phone users do you remember live tiles uh hashtag live tiles um so yes, these are essential. Listen, I think live tiles on the lock screen make more sense than on the home screen. So I think it's absolutely. I I think I think uh, yeah. So we're joking about live tiles, but this is uh, a new API where you can design uh, notifications that are supposed to be compact and glanceable. So they're supposed to be quick bits of information. And the biggest sort of example that Apple provided was sports scores, right? So you have like I don't know, like the NBA app. Or the NFL app or whatever, right? And if there's a game going on and it can show you the scores, like you'll update the scores in, in, in real time, right? As, as soon as the updates happen, it'll show up on, on the, on the lock screen. So you don't have to, you don't have to unlock your phone and go to the app to, to look at the score, right? Um, so another example is, is also they used Uber, Uber rides. Like you can see the status of, of an Uber ride. You know, I see we could also use this for st- things like flight, uh, flight status, you know, flight notifications and stuff like that. Uh, so this is, uh, an API. This will have to be implemented by developers, obviously, and not every developer is gonna, like, it, it doesn't make sense for a lot of, like, a lot of apps, it doesn't really make sense to implement this. A lot of apps don't really need this kind of API, but for apps that do, I'm sure they will be implementing it. I have a question. So I have, I have a question here. The Overwatch League, do they have an API for you to get real-time game data? Or is that something that Blizzard does not make available? Because I was thinking to myself, I could probably make like a Dudley Swift UI app for this, right? If they had an API. I, I, that's, I, I was, you, you, were, you asked a great question. I don't, I don't know if there is an open API. I think there is an API, but it is only being used internally by the Overwatch League website. Uh, and I mean, is, is Activision Blizzard really going to implement this in their app? Probably not, right? Probably not. I would be extremely surprised if it this got implemented in in, in an Overwatch League app. I would. I mean, that'd be cool. 
I would love to see that. Yeah, because we can pivot. What was the app we were talking about last year? Your horny Overwatch fan art app. <laughs> yeah. We can pivot it now into Overwatch League scores in real time. VLA that's it, absolutely. Like I don't, I don't. Like that's a good question. I actually don't know if there's an API or not. Uh, that's, that's. I'm sure it's there. I'm sure there is an API, just not uh, publicly available to uh, anybody. Anybody to the public essentially. So, uh, so basically, what I'm saying is, if you have scraped the Overwatch League's API in your free time via some kind of packet sniffer, by all means, at me at packetcat. Oh my god! I'm sure that's that's. Uh, I'm sure that would not get me a cease and desist from Activision Blizzard. Uh, that would be perfectly <laughs> fine. Uh, so let's. Uh, so that is the sort of notification of live activities. So we're. Um, <laughs> Apple is slowly starting. Like, and one of the things is also about, uh, now playing. They made now playing more, um, focused on the album art, right? So you can have like the album art showing in a, in a bigger format in, in, on the, on the lock screen, which, um. Look at what they removed on that screenshot. How do you seek music? What do you tap on? Good question. Do you tap on the, on the, the thin line? Is that what you tap? Yes, they remove like the circle you tap on. You just tap somewhere on the bar to seek music. That's that's terrible. That's actually not good. That's that's like why would you remove a handle? Like why would you remove an obvious way f- like that shows how you interact with the UI? That seems like a and the issue is right. At least as of right now, all music player controls right on the lock screen are handled by the system and not on a per app basis. So you as a Spotify user may also have to experience this bad UI this year. Oh fuck! God damn it! God damn it! Uh, this is, uh, um, look, for people who are listening, go to the Mac Stories article. Basically, if you don't have normal playback controls, you play pause and like a seek bar, usually there's a circle, right? You can tap on to drag along, you know, and move it, you know, to a specific point in the song. They remove the circle thing you tap on. It's just a line where you just tap on for this time, which is very imprecise and, um, a very 2020s Apple thing to do. Uh, does this mean that, like, you know how on the, on the Overwatch now playing thing on, on the lock screen, you can, you can tap the like. There's a thirty seconds for uh, like forward button, right, and thirty seconds like backwards button. Does that mean that gets removed? Is that gone now? Like, or is that like? No, no, no. These these buttons have always been configurable by the system. It's just like the seek bar. That part is not something that's customizable. I think you can normally disable moving back and forth if it's like a live event, right? Like if it's live radio, is a different kind where. It won't have it because obviously it's in real time. But for fixed content with known start and stop points, you should, at least in the current design, be able to go ahead and pick the um, the specific point by tapping on the circle. But that circle no longer exists. To be fair, I like I personally, I don't I don't seek from the lock screen like ever. I, I don't think I just realized I, the only time I what I could consider doing seeking is when I skip like 30 seconds ahead on a podcast to skip an ad or whatever right like uh that's about that's about it and if that but it's still silly for them to remove it though yeah absolutely no it's bad it's it's not a it's as you said like a weird move that for apple to remove a like a functional ui element for seemingly no reason uh it's not like there's no space to put it there it's clearly there's space to like have that little little dot uh like circle like white circle be there so i don't i don't know what's What's going on? Uh, focus mode. I mentioned focus mode earlier. Uh, you, you can you can link individual lock screen custom lock screens to a uh, particular focus mode. So and I'm 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 happy about that. Uh, the biggest thing about focus this year is focus filters. I don't know. So you can now sort of go beyond notifications, just notifications, like blanket notifications for focus to 
to filtering for our specific content from apps. And I'm, I imagine this is going to be very dependent on like if you're if the apps you use are going to support this API, right? Like if they're going to support the the developer API that will let uh, apps like sort of surface specific content for the focus system, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how, like, other than, like, first party, like, mail and messages, calendar and Safari, like, what else, what third party apps are going to really, like, go deep into actually implementing folks? I think indie apps will, right? Like, I would be surprised, you know, underscore David Smith's uh, Overcast, you know, uh, Tweetbot, um, those sorts of apps. Uh, will Eugen pay the Mastodon developer to do it? I mean, he barely pays an implement voiceover properly, so who knows on that? But um, for at least for, I imagine Chrome hopefully should implement it, and maybe Firefox hopefully. Maybe yeah, hopefully. I mean, I I, I really hope they implement it. it. It seems like a good idea, right? I mean, one way to sort of reduce the problem with notifications on 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 iOS is to have fewer notifications, right? So, and uh, I I would love more granular control over what kind of notifications I get personally. Uh, well, I, what I'm probably going to do with this is um, for like my work filter, I might just block loading Mastodon right in Safari, for example, like just so I don't get distracted while working. Like that might be something I might do. Oh, that's true, 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 true. Actually, true. Yeah. Um, messages. I message. Speaking of messages, uh, uh, <laughs> no, no web app. Uh, that's all we. Uh, <laughs> no, no web app. So okay, so so. Let's, I'm a let's chat up discourse time. Hi, hello. It's been a minute. I know. Um, but the thing is right now, because I'm friends with people who use PCs, like, like Sadek and other people, unfortunately, we can't live an all iMessage li- lifestyle because I, I really understand the fact that they're like, yo, I don't have to pull out my phone all the time. I, like, I would like to message from my computer. I'm totally there. I am on board with it. So we use Telegram because Telegram has web apps, it has native apps, um, you know, it has all kinds of apps. And now it's a premium service. But the problem is, Telegram's notification support is bad. Like you get notified on one device, you, you you respond to it. Like you'll respond to it, right? On another device and you still get notifications for the prior message on other devices. Problem is, this is not this is a new problem. Like this this isn't used to be. I feel like this has gotten worse recently. I feel like this is some sort of weird maybe server side like integration with Apple push notification system that is breaking on Telegram server side. Because this you didn't used to be as bad as you described, right? Like before notifications with Telegram used to be pretty good. Uh and but they have recently gotten fairly inconsistent uh with their performance. Um and also another like personal bug with with the uh Telegram messages is the Siri message announce feature, which which uh, which triggers when you have like uh and my AirPods Pro uh on in my ears, uh is it announces Telegram messages twice. So every time Christian sends me a message and I have my AirPods on, it announces the message twice. Uh, for every- and I'm sending some garbage <laughs> so- too. Like, Sadek shouldn't even have to listen to it once. Though. Let's be honest. He shouldn't even have to listen to it once. But, but, you know, he's listening to it twice and I feel bad. So, you know, if Apple made an iMessage web app, we could switch the iMessage. It would A, um, to be honest, is a slicker notification messaging experience in Telegram. I mean, I don't use Telegram for all of the, um, you know, uh, QAnon, you know, stuff features they have. So I just use it mostly for person-to-person messaging and group chats and not like the weird um, group channels where all you do is get spewed messages about how Pfizer is a scam. None of that stuff, right? No vaccine misinformation here. But 
I would just love, and also too, I, I, I don't like having multiple apps that duplicate things. So I would love for them to have a web app and then I could just delete Telegram and switch to iMessage so we can message with all my PC friends with iPhones and it would be great. But um, no, Apple does not want us to have nice things. The feature they did add was the ability to edit sent messages and also to undo sent messages altogether. Uh, which, sure. I mean, those are... And delete messages. You forgot the most important one, deleting messages. So I guess you can edit your shit takes. Great. Uh, th- those are great for the way you like have a weird autocorrect uh, issue, which is... Or when you're drunk texting someone. Absolutely. I mean, sure. Um, So, yeah, you you can can do that. You can also uh, mark entire threads as unread, which is is cool. You know, that's just a quality of life feature if you, you know... Uh, Also, uh, we should just just mention is that SharePlay uh, is coming to messages. It's, you can sort of is this like we're gonna share play a podcast? <laughs> Can you wait? Hold on, hold on. Is didn't they announce this last year, or am I losing it? Like, no, no, no. Share play was only with FaceTime last year, so now you can do it with an iMessage thread. So basically, all I'm gonna do is I am gonna force you to share play a podcast with me to to in, enjoy the horror of it. Are we? Oh my god, this sounds horrible. Uh, so that is uh that is sort of the messages section. Uh, is there anything else worth mentioning? Oh yes, there are a couple. There's one feature that I would like to like really sort of highlight in this keynote that I was like, I was not expecting Apple or really any other tech company to bring this up in a, in a keynote uh, is the safety check feature that is getting, uh, that got announced um, in during the, during the keynote uh, was it is a feature that lets uh, victims of domestic or intimate partner violence to reset privacy settings in one go basically you have this screen it's called safety check there is an emergency reset which immediately resets access for all people and apps right and reviews your account security uh which means that it logs like it logs you it logs every other device logged into your account right so it logs yeah it logs it out it resets your location and privacy permissions i'm going to probably prompt you to change your password check your two-factor settings right so basically it it's not like you couldn't do this already, but it just wasn't accessible in an easy place, right? And unless you're someone who's technical, you probably didn't even know most of these settings existed, right? So it just centralizes it in one quick process that someone can run whatever they feel like they need to. Yeah, so it uh, manage sharing and access is the second part is where you can sort of see which apps have access, uh, which which uh, which who you're sharing, like uh what right like you know find my location, location with location, and all that yeah. app access so which apps or apps uh have like location settings or other like like contacts or photos or whatever whatever other information so this is I, this was a surprisingly like i i was not like this is yes this is targeted obviously to uh, towards people who need uh who need, like assistance with uh domestic uh violence issues but also like this is it just in general like a good Information security feature, just in, just a very thoughtful, I think, very, very clever. Uh, this, like, this is the thing. The thing is, the, the all of these things that you mentioned are already pres- present in the in settings, but not in one place. So a computer can just sort of gather all of these things in one place and, and present them to you. And this is the thing a computer can do. So I think this is a clever way to like solve this kind of uh, sort of information security sort of display issue. Uh, so I think this is like. A cool feature. Did they say when this was going to? Sh- is this just going to ship with iOS 16, or is it just like like? Is it? 
I think it's I, it's, I okay. Um, I, I believe it's going to ship if I was sixteen. Yeah, it doesn't say coming later in the year from what I can see. It just seems to be. Um, yeah, yeah. There's no mention of it becoming later in the year, and they're pretty clear about what's going to be coming later in the year and what's going to be coming. Like live activities, for example, right? Not going to be a shipping feature, but will be coming later on in the yeah, year. Yeah, I am. I am glad. Uh, I'm glad this is a feature that is getting implemented. I think tech companies should. I mean, tech companies in some ways hesitate to deal, like tackle these kind of issues because they're like I don't know. They're they think they cannot do it or like they're not able to. Uh, but this is a this is a good way. I hope like you know, uh, Google does something similar to this. Uh, so I I'm just just glad this is a thing that that at least one tech giant does seem to seem to care about. Um, so that is iOS. Unless we have anything else, and uh, we I guess we can do, move on to iPad OS, right? So next up, though, we have iPad OS, which um, honestly I would say is probably the biggest changes to all of the all of the OSs, right? Uh, I mean, in, in a way, yeah. I think the iPad sort of changes here are what people uh, have been wanting for multitasking. Right, the multitasking changes are the big deal here, right? Uh, and so we have. Collaboration is one of them. Collaboration. I don't know if you want to talk about the collaboration features. They are like uh, kind of interesting, but I don't know if they're like really all that interesting personally. But they're like they're like essentially you can sort of have uh, a, like a doc like a like a like a document, and then it will you can hit the collaborate button, and you can add people natively into the into the thing, and they'll get live changes. And it's it's actually sort of interesting, but biggest deal is the iPad is getting the weather app. Uh, iPad is getting the weather app finally. Uh, for people who don't use iOS and iPad OS, I suppose, this is a joke, I suppose. At this point, this is like a long-running joke is that the, is that the iPad doesn't have the, the weather, weather app and the, what is it, the calculator app, right? For some reason. I don't, I still don't understand why it doesn't have the calculator app, by the way. Um, uh, it it is it is really really weird, but we are getting uh weather uh, a nice like nice big version of weather for the iPad, so I'm I'm glad. The Mac's also getting it too, because so basically the reason is last year is rewritten in Swift UI, and so I guess because of that, that made it easier to port up to the um iPad and and the Mac. Yeah, it's just really weird. It's just really weird that it's taken this long for the iPad to get the weather app. I mean, it's whatever, but it, uh, we have we have the. Uh, we have the weather app. Uh, so let's talk about the multitasking UI. Uh, we have something, a new, a new, a new Apple, uh, proper noun, a uh, new name. Uh, we have something called stage manager, not to be confused with center stage as I had confused it like a gazillion times before the podcast started. But stage manager is essentially expose. Do you remember? I mean, it's really like, it looks more like out of GNOME 3 than anything else. That's what it looks like. Or GNOME Shell, I guess, nowadays is what it's called. Yeah, it's, it's GNOME, very GNOME 3. Yeah, it's, and I was going to say GNOME Shell. GNOME, GNOME 3 or GNOME Shell, Linux nerds, don't, don't at me. I don't really care, to be honest. Uh, but like, it is like sort of like a sort of a visual side sort of list of, uh, like you see these small like, Previews of of Windows in this case apps in the case of iPads apps on the side so you have up to I guess four or or, or maybe more if you're in like portrait mode instead of 
it's enough uh, like uh, horizontally. Like so, you'll get four apps, and you can sort of stack apps uh, behind. Like like you can can you have app in the, I don't know if this I don't know if this is the case for macOS, but can you have multiple apps be in one like formation? Yeah, in the, eight 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 at a time on the iPad Pros. Eight apps open at once. Eight apps. Open, okay. Okay. Uh, so you can, you can sort of preview as switch and manage apps in this way instead of using the weird three, three dot multitasking UI, which is very, very confusing for anybody who does not use or control center. You can just, um, yeah, but you can like, you can redrag them. You can resize windows. It's basically, it's like floating windows on the iPad with a, instead of like a taskbar, you know, at the bottom, you have like open windows on the left. I mean, you can still open them through the dock and, and manage them that way. You really need to look at the screenshot for this. This is something that's. Very hard design, but it's like a single window mode with the ability for multiple windows to be open, but it's primarily meant to be used in single window mode, which I honestly think for an iPad is probably the best way to do it. Because you still, you you can't do the full, like, like yes, surfaces let you do full windows in, you know, windows, um, window manager stuff. But if anyone's ever tried it with touch, it's, it's kind of shit. <laughs> like... That's the reason why Microsoft used to always have the switch between tablet mode and stuff. And they've mostly given up on it now and just try to make parts of Windows, you know, touch friendly. So I think having a middle ground here is still good. Um, so I'm very, very excited for, for, for this to come. Because finally, it'll, it'll hopefully make the iPad people stop talking. <laughs> I, 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 like, do you just want Federico to just, like, stop? Like, I want them to be happy. That's what I, I firstly, I want them to be, they deserve happiness. But also, it's like, it's like you, it's like what you remember, like we, we, we mentioned a lot, but people used to always talk about how the Apple TV was never updated and then they updated it and now no one talks about it. It's great. It's like this, right? Like give them their window managing so they can be happy. Also, I'm not upset at all that my iPad mini won't get it. Not at all. Oh, uh, you're not upset. Okay. So let's, let's uh, clarify something here. Uh, this stage manager UI is only going to be available on iPads with the M1 chip in them. So your iPad. Uh, I presume it. In my in my case, my iPad Air, yes, which which I, I honestly I was like, look, I don't actually use multitasking on the iPad. It's my I mostly use the iPad in single app mode, usually like Twitch or YouTube, uh, at any given time. So like, it's not really like a like a huge change. But I'm looking forward to at least giving it a try. You know, let's, let's see how it works. I'm curious like how it actually handles day to day. Uh, but other than that, it's uh, this feature. We will talk about this, but this is this feature is also coming to Mac OS this year. Uh, so this is the same feature, same name. Stage Manager is coming both to Mac OS Ventura and to to iPad OS sixteen. Uh, you know, too the thing about Stage Manager, really, like the main use for it is it's just gonna make working between multiple apps easy, right? Like I know, like Federico, he has like music while he's in like a Safari thing, but like really. What's really more important is like being able to have your file browser open, a web page open, and maybe like a photo editing app, right? It just moves shit between them without having to deal with open dialogues. Absolutely. It's, it, it does make... I love how we are recreating decades old features in a new way. It's very, very cool. Apple, thank you very much. Uh, but it... Well, I mean, the problem is too, though, you, I can just say as someone who, who like knows a bunch of like non-tech savvy people who use iPads, they're going to accidentally open this and be freaked the fuck out and hate it. You know what I mean? Like there are, there is a strong contingency of people who very much enjoy one app open at a time and nothing yes, else. Yes. Yes. 
That's why I think I Apple added like a single like it's a mode that disables the multitasking UI. You oh, know? that was removed in fifteen. Yeah. Oh, is, did they remove it? Oh, did they? They used to have it, but yeah, the toggle to turn off multitasking removed in fifteen. But yeah, it's like because there are objectively people who are going to look at this and think this is not how I want. I did not buy an iPad for this, right? No, no, they they just want they just. They just use like two apps, right? And they they just want to switch between those, and it's not really a big deal for them to like go go back to the home screen to switch apps, right? So, uh, like that's me. That's literally me. Like I like I switch between literally two apps, or uh, three, right? So Twitch, YouTube, and Apple Fitness. Like that's that's literally all. It's all that's all I do on the on the iPad. So I'm not really like a iPad power user, like you know Federico, uh, whatever. So. Also, we got to talk about the desktop class APIs. And most importantly, they rewrote the Files app to be a lot more like Finder. Um, and they fixed the longstanding bug. So copying and moving data from an external drive used to lock up the entire iPad. That's now been fixed. The app no longer hangs when moving the files between external drives. Great. That's, that's, that's good. That's a, that's a, that's a thing you want to have. You don't want your file manager freezing when you move files. Like, I feel like that's, you know, should be a feature that, you know, should not always have been the case. Uh, but I'm glad that, uh, I, you know, the bug, uh, I don't know if this is a bug that still exists because they haven't actually used the files app in a while. There used to be a bug where uh, if you used Samba shares, you remember when they added support for Samba shares in, in files? Oh, the most buggy implementation of Samba ever. The buggy implementation of Samba where if you, if you like get disconnected from the Samba share, you can't reconnect to it. I don't know if the I don't know if that's for Yeah. Yeah, like reboot the entire iPad or remove it and re-add it. It's great. You have to reboot or re-add it. Yeah, you have to re- remove it, reboot the iPad, and then re-add the re-add the share. I don't know if they like fixed that or not. Uh I hope they did because I do like using I do have a NAS system that I can use with Samba. So please let me use. I would love to watch videos from my NAS on my on my iPad. That would be cool. Without me having to reboot the iPad, that would be uh, that would be cool. Also, I love the desktop class API stuff they added, where it's like it's really they're really just taking features that have only existed on macOS for no reason, bring them to iPads. Like for example, did you know the Contacts app for iOS has not been able to manage groups or find duplicates ever? Oh, that's uh... and that just got added, <laughs> or like changing printing scaling, or um, copying and dragging contacts to and from the mail app. Um, find and replace. Like, there's a whole bunch of like little things. Where you're like, oh, that that wasn't there. That wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm glad they're sort of smoothing out the rough edges. I guess. I mean, better now than better late than never. I guess. Um, let's let's talk about watchOS. Uh, watchOS. I think watchOS is in a place where it is. I don't think it's going to get major feature changes, but just sort of improvements on existing features at this point right now without new hardware right like without new hardware capabilities being added to the watch i uh i don't think we're gonna get major new features and that is what happened with watch os 9 is uh, w- the workout app is getting um an ability to add uh, the ability to make uh custom workouts so you can have like you can cu- you can assemble a custom workout with multiple types of workouts which is actually really really awesome like so you can you can have like you know like a running workout combined with like a cool down workout, right? Like you can sort of combine, mix and match like the like workouts that you'd commonly do together, right? Like you know a good, like a like an intense workout followed by like a cool down workout. So like stuff like that, you can you can sort of custom custom make uh, uh, 
well, like these these uh, these workouts. Very 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 cool. Uh, you can also have they Sherlock David Smith. That's what you're saying. <laughs> did, did they did they Sherlock? What was it? Is, is it workout plus plus has been Sherlock. Activity has now been Sherlock plus plus. Sleep plus plus has now been Sherlock. Oh well, uh, I mean at least good. David Smith is fully into widgets now, so it's fine. He's good. He's all he's all good. Um, so running metrics are being tracked as well. Like so, running power, stride length, uh, ground contact time, vertical oscillation. They're using a bunch of math to determine this basically. Uh, so if you are a person who does a lot of running, uh, I'm sure this will be very useful to you. Uh, personally, not really my thing, but you know, people who do running, uh, I'm sure. Um, also, you can sort of like you can sort of compare and like, you can sort of have a leaderboard for yourself, right? You can sort of like compare. Like after you finish a workout, you can sort of compare between. You can look at the r- route and then like compare times for previous workouts on the same route, which is cool. You know, if you, if you run the same route. All the time, it will it will it will calculate that for you. So you know that's that is that is cool. Uh, there is also the heart rate zones feature. Uh, this is uh, this is actually cool. Is that it sort of monitors your intensity level through the course of your workouts, and like it'll sort of you can have uh, like put like goals set for what sort of what sort of intensity level your sort of like heart rate is supposed to be at, which is which is cool i mean i don't, I don't i'm not sure i want to micromanage my heart rate that like that but you know i'm sure there are people who, for this is very important also sleep right you mentioned sleep uh got sleep plus sleep plus plus got sherlock so sleep uh, is adding uh the sleep app in apple watch is adding um uh, it still does not support automatic sleep tracking so it's sleep plus plus is not quite sherlock because that is the biggest feature uh, sleep plus plus is it automatically detects uh automatically tracks sleep so if you like instead of you manually starting uh, like a sleep tracking basically you, you don't have to manually start it in sleep plus plus but that is still not available but you add they are adding tracking of detailed stages of sleeping patterns so you know uh how much time you spend awake or in rem or core or deep sleep so i'm very curious as to how actually accurate this is because this is a very difficult thing to actually measure with something like a watch um like right because you're mostly going off of motion and heart rate right motion and heart rate and blood oxygen i guess oxygen i don't know how accurate it's going to be like it is very hard to measure this kind of stuff without actual like medical grade sleep measurement equipment that like measures your like electrodes like brain brain activity uh, so I don't know how accurate this is actually going to be. I'm curious, like, if this implementation is going to be better than C++'s sort of guess at it. So uh, I'm sure that is. We'll see. Uh, that, that is that is that is good to have more native stuff natively built in. Uh, the the biggest addition is 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 not just a watchOS feature, right? It is also actually available also on the on the iPhone. You can actually use this feature without without the without a watch. It's the medications app. Right, uh, which allows users to input medications, vitamins, and supplements that you take uh, that you take regularly, and you can, you can the app can send you reminders to take uh, take certain meds at certain times, and also allow you to mark, like log and mark them when you've taken them. Um, it'll also like tie into the health app on iOS, so you can like have a record of of your medication setup. And also another cool thing is that it will like helpfully inform you of any sort of bad bad interactions with medication right like you don't like if you take one medication you're not supposed to take another one right like if if certain medications have interactions with each other 
uh, like bad interactions with each other. You, you, you. Yeah, I think they're called drug drug interactions. Is like the technical term for it. Drug drug interactions. Yes, uh, and that is that is interesting. I'm sh- uh, Apple really seems to be focused on this health stuff in a very significant way. So, um, if in history, uh, this is I'm sure this is uh, useful. Uh, I mean, this is actually useful. I'm sure I've heard a lot of stories about people getting the AFib notification and going to their doctor and actually having their having found out some sort of issue with their heart, right? That is uh that is actually an important feature. Uh so there is the AFib history feature which will like track your heart like arrhythmia over time. Um so you can like sort of have it'll like give you notifications like describing your heart rhythm patterns compared to uh previous weeks. Uh watch there are some new they've deleted some watch faces, right? They've deleted the astronomy uh, watch face, I think. Uh, the, 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 I like the new one. I do. Yeah, I like the new yeah. one. Uh, the new one. There's a the Metropolitan uh, Playtime Lunar, Lunar, the Lunar watch face, and the Astronomy watch faces are getting sort of uh, redone. Um, is there anything else worth uh, worth mentioning? Uh, for watchers, I think that's basically it, the right? podcast app, of course. <laughs> oh, all right, I forgot about the podcast. Okay, so just oh, can you can you God. like elaborate like as to why this is like such a funny like sort of uh, thing about the watch version of the podcast app? Uh, so in general, Apple Podcast is bad, uh, for, mainly for the reason of it just doesn't sync properly. Like, like let me open. I have it on my watch right now. Let me go ahead and open it up, and let me tell you how far behind it is for my actual iPhone podcast. So it is. Let's see. There is one podcast being shown that I have not listened to. If I open the podcast app on my iPhone, there are two podcasts. So it's two podcasts out of date. And if I go to latest episodes, oh, it shows up in latest episodes. You know, the one time I'm going to talk shit about this podcast, <laughs> it decides it to fucking work. It decides to I work. I promise you, though, it is it is bad. Syncing it is bad. I, you get my personal chosa take guarantee that it's bad, <laughs> and you should just use Overcast. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, and, uh, and to be fair to Overcast, I mean, to be fair to the Apple Podcast app, uh, the the Overcast is not much better. Uh, but because- but the problem with the watch app is not Marco's fault. It's that. Apple just throttles the app in the background and he can't do anything about it. The podcast app has full access to do proper sync. And the thing is, though, podcast is bad on every platform. Syncing from an iPad to a Mac, you open the app, wait like two minutes, and then it'll sync. Because the problem is, it is client-based syncing, right? Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it doesn't, the, it doesn't uh, store your podcast on so, the cloud. It stores it on the client. No, so and it's, that's so always been the problem. So this is the thing about Apple Podcast app. It's It's one of the few, like one of the... It's actually weird to me because most podcast apps don't do this, actually. Most podcast apps have the server check the feeds and send a notification to the app to sync, like, well, pull updates, right? So when it, so the, the app only needs to check once to a one server and it'll, it'll tell them, like, is there, is there, is there any updates? If there are any updates, the app or the, the app on locally will update. But if there are no updates, there's no, nothing to be done. But with Apple Podcasts, it checks every RSS feed individually on on device locally. Like it, it, it checks 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 the feeds locally, which uh, which is good for which is uh, what is it good for really? It, I mean, it's not good for privacy anymore because Apple already sends metrics right back to the podcast vendors themselves. That's true. It's actually worse for privacy. It's actually worse for privacy, right? Like because. Your 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 IP is getting sent to the server directly, right? Um, I mean, actually, 
uh, even in cases of overcast, right? When you download the podcast, you're still downloading from the podcast CDN, right? So the podcast CDN will still get your IP if you use overcast. The only thing you will not get is the IP for checking the RSS feed because that is being done on the uh, it is being done on the overcast uh, server side. But it's just it's inefficient though, right? That's the problem. It's just he's like if you have multiple devices, like why why does my watch need to check RSS feeds manually? Oh uh, yeah, it does not. Yeah, it's it's very it's like actually for a wa- device like the watch. It should not be checking RSS, like individual RSS feeds. That's like extremely. This is a low clocked dual core processor. It does not need to be parsing this much JSON. <laughs> or XML. Yeah, you don't need to be parsing this XML. Like, yeah, bro, like just, just have a server side API. Like, I don't know if Apple just doesn't want to implement like a server side thing, I guess. Uh, but like it is. It's like weird. They keep building up like subscriptions and exploration discovery features in the podcast app, but I'm like, you got to fix the core experience. It still doesn't have any kind of sound check or, you know, like voice boost feature, which the music app supports, right? Sound check, you can normalize stuff. It's weird that the podcast app doesn't. And then you, it, like, its chapter support is weird. It's just like, I, I get they're a small team, but I would just like, if all you did for podcast for one year was do nothing but fix the sync infrastructure, like, like for example, have you ever opened the podcast app on an Apple TV? Every time you open it, it thinks you opened it for the first time and syncs in your entire library from scratch. Is is that really how that works? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Yes. Every single time I open the podcast app, it does like the welcome to the podcast app. Here, what you can do. Would you like to sync? Oh, that is horrible. I, 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 <laughs> that's terrible. It's so Jeez. bad. That is a very un-Apple-like experience. Like, absolutely terrible design. Like, that is... They should like, really... at that point, why even have the, the TV app? Yeah. Why, why? I mean, who's listening to podcasts on their TV? I mean, that's my question, but... Well, I'll do it for, like... So, like, for example, I want to put on a podcast, right? And I'm, like, in my living room, and I'm going to airplay it everywhere, and I'm cleaning, right? I'll just use the TV to airplay to all the other HomePods. Okay, cool. Cool, I guess. I mean, I could do it for my phone, but the TV remote's already in my hand, right? So, like, okay, I'll just open this app. But then I open the app, and I'm met with the initial sync screen, and I just throw it in the ground, and I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> just use just use my phone yeah uh, yeah okay so please like i i just i just really wish the apple podcast app was better just just for everybody's sake just it's the most po- it's the most popular app but the podcast app on a period like it's, it's as podcast producers we've invested interest in this app not being shit yeah absolutely like please apple make uh, like the team at apple that works on the podcast app Please give them a couple more people, give them some more time, uh, and have them like make the app actually a good experience. Please. Uh, wait, why are we talking about podcasting? Oh, right. Watch OS nine. If you have, if you have a family setup watch, you can now add podcasts from the family setups podcast app. There you go. That's, uh, that's the whole reason we went on that 10 minute cool. diet right there. Uh, cool. I mean, we have to do it. It's on brand. Um, you know, if there's one thing kids loves, it's podcast. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> Little Timmy's listening to cereal. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, okay, let's let's move on to uh, to Mac OS and this year's Mac OS name, uh, a place in California as the as the new naming tradition is. Uh, it is Mac OS Ventura. Um, so you know, cool. We get we get Mac OS Ventura. Uh, so what is the big deal with, with macOS, uh, venture? Uh, so we have, we mentioned this already. Stage manager is also coming to macOS ventures. So you get, you get that. We get one, we get a redesign of the preferences 
app in macOS, and it is not good, right? Like, as far as I have seen, the feedback on the new system settings app, they renamed it to settings to match iOS. Uh, and they redesigned the settings app, which I did, which in, on macOS, which I didn't think needed an entire redesign. It did need some fixing to clean up some weird bits of it, but like, it did not need an entire UI redesign, right? So, so how, like, can you, like, it's, it's harder to describe, like, it looks like macOS, right? Are there, like, do we have any screenshots actually? I don't know if you have any screenshots, but, uh, I can, um, pull one up here. Yeah, that's. I'm very curious, actually, with you if you have any. Uh, yeah. So while I am pulling it up here, let us see. Ah, here we go. I'll go ahead and put it in the show notes, which you can always find at twoshadesbrown.com. But here we go. So there's some screenshots in there if you if you open that article up. So basically, so before we even hop into the design of it, I will just say I have a I have a personal philosophy about settings apps. A bad settings app that is consistent over time is better than to just redesign it all the time. It's like, for example, Windows 10 setting app was kind of shit, but Microsoft kept changing it every update. So honestly, if you just have one settings app designed and leave it alone for a few years, over time, even if it's laid out weird, people will remember where it's at, right? They'll be like, oh, I go there, I go to this part, that's where that settings at, cool. It just builds more like can can memory. It just builds you use group user, knowledge, yeah. right? Muscle memory, group knowledge about it, and makes searching for things easier. Because I'm gonna say like you just Google it, it's like oh, even a web result from a few years ago is still accurate. And like if you need to redesign a settings app, you need a damn good reason. And all I can tell is this is a Swift UI redesign, and I don't know what the benefit is. Like it looks like the iPad one, I guess, to make it more in line of iOS. But the system the system preferences app on Mac OS is honestly. This design goes back to like Mac OS 9, I think, right? Like it is 30, 20, 30 years old at this point. Like, let me actually pull up a screenshot. Mac OS 9 system preferences app. Let me see how that looked back in Mac OS 9. It looked, let us see here. I think, I think this, like the, the, the design that it's changing from is new with Mac OS 10. Like, like, what what was it? Snow Le- not Snow Leopard. Uh, what was? No, actually, no. Yeah, this is this is um this one is more. This is this is Mac OS ten introduced design because when a Mac OS nine looks more just like a regular preferences app, but but still though the like this has been the same sort of design since the Mac OS ten public beta, and honestly, it's it is, I I I don't see why they redesigned it. Right, I don't see what was the reason to redesign it. Yeah, I. Like for for especially for something that is as like sort of has not changed for such a long time, um, and sort of like people have ingrained muscle memory when it comes to the system preferences app. I I don't like what like as I said like making it more consistent with the iPads seems like sort of like a yeah it's 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 an excuse but I I don't know if it's a good one like it it feels a little just for the sake of changing. And you why they they changed it? Uh, I am not. Uh, I I just like I I I had to have to use this to really have an opinion on it. Like I I don't like I have not used this yet, but uh, I'm not. But they remove like little things, right? See, like for example, on the maxes and preferences, like trackpad gestures and stuff. There's actually videos that show you what to do, right? With the gestures, those are no longer present. 
those videos showing you how to do trackpad gestures or mouse gestures or other things that are built into the system preferences app. Not great. Not 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 a not a good. Uh, remember the Safari redesign from last year. That, how okay, the, this isn't as bad as that. I will say. Okay, this it's not. As it's bad not. As but, but do you, do you think they will improve this as the betas go? Do you think this is going to get better? Oh, probably. I think this is this year's Safari thing for sure. Yeah, this is like the. He's even if you um if you listen to the talk show uh that Gruber did from Apple with some Apple execs, he just straight up was like, I don't like the system settings app, and here's why. <laughs> <laughs> was isn't that the one with the, with like Federighi and like, yeah, and and the and the person for product marketing, he just straight up told him like, I don't like the new system settings app, and here's why. <laughs> Very good, thanks Gruber. Um, uh, so. I'm not, I'm not like, I, I'll reserve judgment on this before I actually use it, but I, right now I'm not, I'm not into changing the UI just for the sake of making it more consistent with the iPad version because people expect the Mac OS, like system preferences to look different because it is a Mac and not an iPad. I, I, I don't know. Just, uh, it's a little. But, um, so to go from one disappointment to another, I know this is something you're super interested in, uh, interested in rather. Gaming on a Mac. Oh my God! Oh yes, I forgot. I completely forgot about this because. All right, metal, so we have a new Metal Three. New Metal Three. New metal Three framework metal? with a. Um, yep. And I know Digital Foundry won't cover it. I hope they do, but like a new Metal FX upscaling algorithm that's similar to DLSS or um, AMD Fidelity FX. But but more importantly, I think there's some gaming related things we want to go to our gaming correspondent static for. G- gaming correspondent. Um, I was I was not ready. For somebody from uh, Capcom to arrive in this in this pre-recorded keynote video and start talking in Japanese about uh, a Mac OS release of Resident Evil Village, the the latest uh, latest iteration of the Resident Evil franchise, um, it is going to be Metal native. Uh, it's going to be running on the Metal three sort of APIs, I suppose. Uh, and it is going to be running natively on, on Apple Silicon. Uh, so if you have an M1 or M2 Mac, which we're going to get to in a second, uh, the M2s, but like you can, you can run the Resident Evil Village and, and also another game, No Man's Sky. Uh, I would have loved to see an Sean iOS Murray, release like, too. It's Sean getting Murray. an iOS release. <laughs> yeah, it is getting an iOS release, right? It's also getting a Mac OS release. So you can play No Man's Sky with, Natively on a on an Apple Silicon Mac, uh, which is cool. I mean, that's good. I mean, listen, I, I know we're like slightly making fun of this, but like this is good. But the the problem is, I mean, while while having No Man's Sky, a Resident Evil Village come to Mac OS is cool and good. It still doesn't solve the problem of Mac OS gaming being a desolate nightmare like nightmare escape like it is like no i would say it's on a better path though right because i think this is actually a good way to segue into the next topic which is a wwdc talk on notarization (laughs) so if you are someone (laughs) who follows indie games twitter every six months they they rediscover the fact that you have to notarize and sign code sign apps to get them run on mac os p is on windows it's optional um, actually, shout out to Jake Weeze. We used to do Pentagonal together. He actually pointed this out in Mastodon, where if you do MSIX packaging in Windows, you do get code signing. Um, or if you package for the Windows Store, you also get code signing. Otherwise, right, you have to buy your own certificate, which is super expensive. But Windows allow you to run Zap, you know, not code sign. It's just their smart screen, I believe, technology. It, it works better. It works better if it is code signed and you don't get any warnings. 
But uh, basically, the thing actually, too, which I didn't know, is if you do the basic Microsoft code signing, you're actually using a Microsoft certificate, not your own, which is interesting. Um, but so anyways, with the Mac side, you always need a Mac to notarize an app and code sign it. So it's not a full solution this year, but they are introducing a REST API to remotely sign apps. You, know, you can't staple it. And what stapling means is basically you have your binary, it's signed, which is what this REST API does. And then staple essentially attaches like the certificate file to the binary that'll allow it to be opened on a Mac. So we're about halfway there. So hopefully soon we'll be able to do full notarization for it. Because the thing is, it's like, maybe it's a hot take. You should code sign your apps. But I don't give a fuck if it's a flat pack on Linux or a PC app. And I understand there's, there's reasons why code certificates are expensive, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. But it's the year of our Lord, 2022. If, if if every shitty ass web app out there, you know, written in Node.js and and you know, using up two gigabytes of RAM, can have a less encrypt certificate, there's no reason why apps should not be code signed on the desktop. And actually, someone in Mastodon when I was talking about this the other day pointed out that like we do need like a let's encrypt style sort of certificate authority for code signing applications. Yeah. So this is this is the problem. This uh, right. This is the problem is that code signing certificates are a special kind of certificate still. Like, they, I mean, they are just like SSL certificates, but they are like a special kind of certificate in a, in a way that they're, I suppose they're like the, the file format or whatever. I'm not actually 100% sure. If, if you know about how like code signing certificates work, do, do let me know, do correct me. But it is like you have to buy these. If you are code signing an app on Windows and you're not using MSIX or are distributing on the Windows App Store, which let's face it, uh, kind of shit, uh, has been kind of shit to distribute on the Windows App Store. So I, I imagine a lot of Windows devs just do not develop, like, do not uh, ship on the Windows App Store. So they 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 have to buy a code signing certificate from a certificate authority. And there's, these are usually fairly expensive, not cheap. Uh, so if you're a small developer, it could be a significant cost for you. Um, so and yeah, for like, I suppose maybe you renew it yearly or maybe two years, every two years, if you renew the certificate, uh, and you, you have the certificate, you're signing the app, you have to have a whole workflow for your, for your setup installer and your binaries to be, to be signed with this. Uh, others, otherwise you get the smart screen prompt, uh, if, if you run an unsigned, uh, unsigned, uh, sort of app. Um, so. It is it is it is a problem on Windows. Uh most most Windows apps I think these days are signed. Uh especially big ones, but definitely there are some like open source apps or smaller apps that are just not signed. Most of the itch library I would imagine is probably not signed, you know. But most of the itch most games I would imagine are not signed. Like if you get a game through Steam, I'm not sure if the binaries are actually signed. Um but I, I don't think it's a problem because it gets launched through Steam and it doesn't really matter if it's signed or not. Because Steam verifies checksums and whatnot, so it's not really a big deal if it's signed or not, right? Uh, so you know that is there, there's that aspect of it. So if you're like distributing an indie game through itch.io, you're probably not signing because if you're just a single person who just makes like small indie titles on your on on your off time, you're not gonna probably not gonna pay for a code signing certificate. It's just not really feasible, and you're not gonna distribute on the Windows App Store because. That's just another mess. So you just you just gotta put the binaries out there, and you just gotta have people get the smart screen notification, and then just get past it and run the app anyway. Uh, so no, it's it is what it is. It's just the reality of the situation is that it's app side app. If we want everybody to, if big or small developer, to 
to sign their apps with a code signing certificate or notarization, as it's called on macOS, it has to be a process that is easy to access, like easily done by developers, right? And so, like, so like most things on Windows, this is this is not being done due to Microsoft's incompetence, <laughs> basically. Yeah, mostly. It's honestly, it's kind of like a Microsoft incompetence. If Microsoft offered a certificate authority of some kind, if Microsoft ran a certificate authority, I mean, they do. They do run a certificate. They, I mean, they have, they, they have their own certificates for, 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 I think, certain apps, right? Like certain apps, like, you know, they, they probably... Well, I mean, they run one because you get one through MSIX, right? So you already, you already get, yeah, they already do, but they, I, well, is it probably like they want you to do, uh, so UWP is dead, but by default, UWP is also code side. So, I mean, the problem is Microsoft is, uh, the business arm and the security team are butting heads as usual. Yeah, absolutely. Like they want you to use the Windows App Store, obviously, right? And they want you to distribute your Windows app through the Windows App Store, and not as a like a not as a, like a setup binary and installer, right? Uh, which most Windows developers are still hesitant to do in twenty twenty two because right. Although, also, I mean, to be honest here, also we should probably say the, the real reason no one does games for Macs outside of notarization is also that it's, it's because um, there is no, no there's no Vulcan there's support. No Vulcan. Yeah, it's really yeah. there's no Vulcan there's no, support. It's not actually code signing. I think code signing like. Could be people could get around like there is just not enough of a like AAA developers don't care about the macOS platform until Apple pays them. In which case, I'm sure Apple paid uh, Hello Games and Apple paid Capcom to to have these sort of native metal ports of these games because uh, nobody is going to develop for a platform that has a very small percentage of their user base. Right, even for AAA, like especially for AAA, even AAA and indie. Listen, Bungie's not paying the right people, all right? If Google could get Destiny on Stadia, Apple could totally get Destiny on macOS. That Craig Federer gives a shit about, about video games. Like, do you really like No, I, he's probably like when someone brought up Destiny, they're like, Bungie? Fuck them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um so there is like games are still a, like like this is not gonna solve the problem of the games being on macOS. The people are still not going to make games using the metal framework because they're just not because it's just there's not enough of a user base. There's not enough money to be made on macOS video games. Well, I say there's enough of a user base now. I would say I think actually with the M1 stuff, I think the hardware and the user base are in a good place. But it's it's Apple's incentives, right? Like I think it's ultimately I think the dev platform is there. The user base is there, especially with like the new M1 Pros. Like the GPUs are the longer shit, right? Even on the MacBook Air, it's still better than most APUs on. And the thing to think about is, for most PC devs, they're not writing games for people like you, right? Which, which jokes aside, right? They're right laptop users. They're making their software for people on laptops, right? Like that's the majority of people who are playing their games on PC. Um, and and the thing about Metal is that because Metal is uh, the API both on iOS and macOS platforms, I, iOS is a juicier target, right? So this is why I think. But it's the same. It's the same platform though, too. So you technically get that kind of scalability with it. But it's just like it's. Apple's incentives prevent games from coming to the Mac, and that's always been the problem. Yep, Apple just does not. Apple just does not appeal to game developers in the, in the way Windows is appealing, or the console platforms are. Or except for WoW, which is weird. It's very weird that this WoW point, has just like the best Mac that's game. That's a legacy thing at this point. I gotta say, like I don't know if, but it was the first. It had M1 support a month after M1s came out, right? Like it's weird that there is one dedicated Mac team at Activision Blizzard. <sighs> It it must be real dedicated, man. That's uh, that's gotta be like a small team, and like there's gotta be like a few couple people at us who are like dedicated to uh, 
exporting World of Warcraft to metal. Um, but um, we're getting too far on his game standard. So another feature I do want to talk about is new spotlight. So I, how much of a desktop search user? We well, use Windows, so you don't search on your desktop. Sorry. Let me, let me, I, I know people who use Windows don't use desktop search because it's bad and takes you to Bing. It's not great. But yes. at least like on a on a Mac, I've never been an Alfred user. I, because my thing is, if I if I end up in Spotlight, it's because like I've I don't know where where it's at. Like I'm I am lost at the point where I'm just using Spotlight for something, right? I know some folks start with Spotlight, so they're basically bringing in more search types, more information, the ability to search the text up photos, OCR stuff, right? So a lot of good changes. It's just that for me, I'm just I I guess I always like you know I I always go to like the file browser first before searching for something because I'm very yeah I, I don't uh, so to be clear I don't use Alfred to. Uh, to search for files, I use Alfred to start apps quickly. Like it's a quick way to start apps. I, I don't need to keep them in my lo- in my bottom like bar, right? I I can just like command space. Like I I change the shortcut so it's command space, so it's it's, it's it launches instead of uh, Spotlight, right? So I change the Spotlight shortcut. Uh, so it launches and I, Alfred is like quick startup apps is like very fast. It's very good at searching like apps and stuff. So. I use I use it for launching apps exclusively. Even on Windows, I use the search just for launching apps. I don't use it for searching files because I am old school and I and I organize my files so I know where they are. I don't define them most of the time. They are in specific folders and I know where they are. So most of the time, I'm not searching for specific files. Well, and you have like most of your files on a NAS, and I I, I don't know how how fat how good is search on a on a network attached drive. Uh, that uh, I can run use find using the CLI if I really want. I don't know how fast. I don't. It doesn't really matter how fast search is to be honest. Windows file search is actually not terrible if you use it from File Explorer instead of uh, instead of the instead of the start menu search. Uh, so if you the start menu search is just an ad at this point. It's it's terrible. It's it's just it's horrible. It's horrendous. Um, so. Let's talk about uh, the, the actually the biggest announcement that is that we keep avoiding is wait we're not gonna talk about continuity camera real quick <laughs> is it wait oh wait no we got we forgot to talk about the home app hold on a minute we actually need to talk about the home app for a moment so why do we need to talk about the home home app because HomeKit is my shit and this affects me personally okay so the home app got redesigned great. It's still not as good as the, some of the third-party apps out there, but I'm very happy that it got some love because the home app has literally been untouched since like iOS 12. But the thing being, though, they also made it where iPads can no longer be home hubs, which is weird because, of course, matter support. Oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. I I will explain this actually. I mean, I will explain this in a sense. This is this is a networking problem more than it is uh, like hardware problem or whatever. Like it is a it is a networking problem, and I think the. The reason they they removed iPads from being uh, able to do uh, be a home hub, as you mentioned, right, HomeKit hub, is because iPads are more likely to be to not be in the network. Their their network connectivity is more likely to be sporadic. Most people use iPads like they just move them around. They might put them in their bag, like they might put them in their bag, take them out of the home, right, and like you know, like leave them in their bag in the car or something like that. You know, they, 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 the thing, the point I'm trying to make is that the iPad might not be connected to the Wi-Fi network at any given time, which would make HomeKit Hub functionality be extremely unreliable, which is not something you want. So I think that is why Apple removed iPads from being able to act as HomeKit Hubs. Uh, it, it, makes, it, it makes... Or they just want to make you buy, buy a HomePod because fuck you. 
There's also that. Yeah, I mean, it's also that, but, but I think mostly it's about improve. It's making the HomeKit Hub experience more consistent uh, and consistently fast, right? More like yeah, because they said they rebuilt the HomeKit backend too. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, no one has to go through my HomeKit hell. Do you think the router you have is going to get updated for this new stuff? I um, I have some doubts. Oh no, they didn't mention anything about HomeKit routers. Well, this is literally the only HomeKit router because Zero no longer supports it. So. You know, I I imagine Apple's probably just gonna be making their own Wi-Fi router at some point. That's probably yeah, they probably will. They should really should honestly. They really should if they're gonna have this kind of like if they're gonna have this kind of like sort of networking based functionality, especially like HomeKit's like Matter and like HomeKit Hub and stuff like this. They really should be making their own networking hub device like a router uh, because that would make things a lot cleaner and easier. Like Apple, if Apple can control the router hardware. The router software, they can they can make this experience a lot, lot better for everyone. Well, there's also like some privacy filters you can features you can build in too, right? Like do like iCloud private relay on a network basis, you know? Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah, you, you can do a lot of like if you control the networking hardware, you can you can do a lot of things and make things a lot simpler and make it a lot more streamlined, especially uh for people who don't don't want to mess around with HomeKit routers and stuff like that, right? Or HomeKit secure, right? Uh, which which requires a HomeKit router, actually, right? Like a HomeKit HomeKit secure requires a device that acts as a HomeKit hub. Yeah, the HomeKit router. Yeah, so it's it's a whole it's a whole mess there. Um, but also, oh wait, 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 wait! Before we even talk about the hardware, what we 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 teased it. Safari web push notifications, bro, and pass keys. Oh my god! How did I forget? How did I, this is the okay? I'm I'm just I I did not get any sleep last night, so this is why I keep forgetting stuff. Uh, so yes, Apple is, this is a, technically an iOS feature, right? It's um, on all of them. It's, it's every, on, this is okay. every platform. But it is actually more significant on iOS than it is on, uh, macOS, I suppose, is that Apple, Safari now supports the web push notification standard, which is, uh, for people who don't know, is the notification that, so it's the web API, web standard that lets web apps notify you. Uh, using either uh, the web browser's own custom notification system, or uh, if the if the if the if the web browser integrates with the system notification uh, platform, it can it can like you know send those notifications there. So now uh, I, I think this is coming later. This this is one of the features that's coming later. So it's it's coming on macOS first, and later this year for iOS and iPadOS. And so with this though, so this means the Mastodon web app can now give you push notifications, which Great, I guess. But and this is this is the the big attention point here is that I I do not think that web apps should be able to have the same notification access as native apps should for the reason of especially on mobile native apps as is already spam you with garbage and there is no control on a web app for you to just like it to say you need to accept notifications for, in order to access this page right they can start gating it and they can. They, and also, like, you can scam sites, right, can trick people into giving you notification yes, access a, and, and yes, scamming yes, them, yes, right? Absolutely. Like, for example, Google Chrome recently, Google built a machine learning based filter to try and protect from notification spam because of how bad it's gotten on Chrome. So, you know, I, I don't think this is something that should be on by default. Like, I'm happy it's there for people who need it, but I don't think that web apps should be giving the same notification access as a native app does. And I'm using a native app loosely. Because I like, for example, Electron Discourse aside, you download the Discord app and it being like, I want notification access, even though it's a web app. Sure, that's fine. That makes sense. But 
for these other apps, I'm I'm not a fan, and I don't I do not think it should have it. Okay, so my opinion on this is that we need if if we are going to have web push notifications, browsers need to be better at letting you manage web push notifications. I think that is the key. I don't think removing the feature entirely is useful because I think uh, because I think the feature does have genuine use cases. For example, if you use a web mail UI like I do, like you know, use fast mail like me. Uh the the fast mail web app, web UI notifies you using web push notifications. So you know and I would prefer that to keep working because it works well. Uh so for, it does have legitimate use case. I just think like I, I think first of all browsers need to integrate with the system notification APIs. So the system notification APIs can then be like with on macOS, you can use focus modes to manage uh, notifications, and on Windows, you can use the like the notification actions, like the action center sort of priority mode stuff to to manage notifications natively. I just think they need to be better about it. if you're going to implement notifications in the browser, we need to be able to manage them more effectively. Like it is, it, they're not going away. Like at this point, and I think if we're going to have them, they, they, we need just need to be, need better controls, need better options that meta preferences to to be able to manage uh notifications and not be able not get like absolutely spammed by every every fucking website just that wants you send to send you a notification um so yeah I, and I, I get the problem with yes like it is uh, web developers are terrible at the abuse features and stuff like this so you know it's it is what it is but i think we should just make the feature be better more user friendly more less user hostile more Less developer friendly, more user friendly. I think is, is the key. Is the key here? Uh, that is my opinion on web push notifications. Uh, is, is but the, more importantly, passkeys. Then I guess passkeys is actually something that. Okay, so passkeys. I... Uh, this is like a big thing. Some sort of been in the news recently. This is based on the. Uh, so passkeys is a web standard. Uh, not passkeys is not the web standard. The web standard is called Web Authent, which is a, honestly a terrible terrible name uh like people are terrible at naming things but whatever I mean, it is it is the web authen web uh authentication for full like the full name is web authentication it's uh it's like a it's like a web standard by made by the w3c uh with it which which allows you to have this sort of so sort of, in the case of like in the case of pass so how web authen works is if you have a web server you have a device and you have uh like a device that has that stores the the private key and and the challenge and pin right uh and it sends the challenge and this like the side assertion to like challenge the web server sends a challenge to you and then you sign it and sign and send the response back therefore like authenticating and this the problem that this i'm like doing a very high level overview if you really want the details on this go read this well i think another way of explaining it is like how ssh works right when you have the uh private key public key thing yes public private public key authentication with ssh yes that's actually a good way to uh it is really like sort of making that available to sort of web uh web apps like web apps right like or web like things where you log in through through HTTPS, right? Uh, so if you have like a web app, uh, you can use Web Authent to make sort of that sort of p- private public key, uh, sort of more abstract model. So and it, like user doesn't have to like know what a private key or public key is, right? They just know that they have like this authentication key that they use 
that cannot be fished because it only works with the website it's designed for. So the web, web apps, like uh, a phishing page can, uh, with a fake URL cannot steal it because it will not work. Um, also, it cannot be stolen server-side because the server never has the private key. So the, the server cannot steal it. Like, passwords can get stolen. This cannot be stolen server-side because the server does not have the, the private key. Uh, if you want more details, I'm sure you can go read the standard. It's called it's Web Author. You can go look it up. It is, it is. Or you can watch the WDC talk on it as well. There's a, there's a couple of them. You can, you can desert up WDC. Actually, that talk is, that talk is better. Actually, I think that if you want to uh, sort of, it does a better job at explaining how this, this works on Mac OS and how it's supposed to work on other OSs as well. So on Mac OS, uh, on, I guess iOS as well, uh, and tvOS. I think those are the three sort of platforms. No, it's, it's on every OS. So it's basically it's tied to the secure enclave, right? So basically, that's the keys are it's how existing keychain stuff works for like, uh, for example, messages in iCloud. That's all tied to the keychain. Same thing for um, save passwords that sync just regular passwords. Yeah, iCloud keychain. iCloud keychain, right? iCloud iCloud keychain will sync the private key between devices, right? iCloud keychain will store the private. Key for you, so you don't need to like uh, manage keys yourself. All the key management is handled by the by the by the OS. Uh, there's at no point are you manually managing keys. I don't think uh, so. So pass keys is is what Apple is calling it on their end on on, on Apple OSs. And uh, I I mean this is I think this this is a better way of doing this doing this sort of passwordless authentication systems. I think this is better design, better seems like more user friendly at least with Apple's implementation of it. I am just mildly worried is what happens if you lose access to the private key, right? So in this case, in Apple's case, the, the private key is stored on iCloud keychain. So you need to be able to log in to iCloud and iCloud keychain to f- get the, the private key. So what happens? Well, they have existing account recovery options, right? So it'd still be the same account recovery options. Last year, they announced account recovery contacts. So you can still use that. So honestly, there's a system for that already where you basically verify if like, you know, access your email, phone number, credit card information, right? To verify your identity. So, I mean, yes, can that kind of be gamed, but that's harder to game, right? That's, that's an automated system. Humans can't, you, you can't fish your way into that. So... There's there's that way, and you can always turn it off too if you really want to be secure. Right, you can turn on recovery key, so that means that you you know there is no way to recover your account without like a key. Yeah, if you really want that security, so you have you have the choice to make there. The thing being though is, I more I think this is a bad solution if you only own one Apple device, or even for the PC side. Right, this is going to be on Android's adding support for this, and so is Windows. Right, they are all adding support for this. So if you're someone who only has one PC and nothing else that stores your keys, that's a problem. Or if you're someone who only has like an Android phone and you don't have, um, no one does, but if you don't have a watch, right? Or if you don't have a, like a Google watch or if you don't have a Chromebook, I actually think that the, the, the worst case scenario is for folks who don't own multiple devices in the ecosystem in which their keys are stored. Because having that redundancy is still a better move, right? So I'm okay using it because if I, you know, my iPhone gets stolen, I have an iPad, I have my Mac, I have my watch, right? I have other ways to authenticate my identity. Or if you have, an, if you have like an Android phone, a Chromebook, you have other ways to, uh, you know, get your identity. If you have, I guess, more than one PC, like a Windows PC and a tablet, I guess, or a laptop, you have multiple ways to get your identity. But with just having one device of it, that's where you get fucked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, 
and, and this is the thing, right? This is all like the thing with private public key authentication systems like this is while you want to abstract the key management process from the user because people don't people don't understand what keys are and they don't want to manage them, understandably so. At the same time, that means that users are at a loss what happens when they do lose the key. Like, what happens if the system just loses the key? Like, how do you recover from that if you only have a single copy of the private key? Like, in the case of having a single device. This is the Bitcoin wallet issue. It is a Bitcoin. So this is a, so the issue here is, is something called escrow. So in, in the case of escrow is in the, like, escrow is a term in case of cryptography means that a, a, a party that sort of holds the key for you. So in Apple's case, iCloud Keychain escrows the private key for you, right? So if you are able to log back into iCloud, you can get the private key back. So I, I'm I'm worried about the implementation on the other ecosystems. How does that work? So if you do you have... Well, Google account recovery is pretty okay. But the problem with Google accounts is always, you know, I... What if Google shut down yes, your account yes, for no absolutely, reason, right? Absolutely. Google can <laughs> and has shut down Google accounts with zero recourse. And Google does not offer any support with this. Uh, unless you're a popular developer on Twitter, you're not going to get any help with if, if your Google account gets uh, gets essentially just banned, like just blocked, basically. Google. Well, and I should say, too, luckily on the Apple side, they have announced that they are going to make these exportable. And, you know, they're open to importing to make it portable, right? So at least if even if your Apple account got blocked, they're, they're downloaded to your device, right? They might not sync, but they're still on your device. So if you're, even if your Apple account got deleted tomorrow, you could still, you know, export them off of your device and, and put them somewhere else. So at least Apple's offering that option. Google and Microsoft have not announced what their plan is for it. So we don't know if it's, how it's going to be portable or not. But at least Apple's doing the right thing here and making it portable. And so the, it, the, the, the success of this kind of system depends on how well various platform vendors make key management as painless as possible, as, as seamless and as worry-free. Like if you lose a device or if you like a recovery process, this need to be in place for it. Like every platform that implements this need to have some sort of way for you to at least manage the key in a way where maybe you can manually export it and keep like a keep like a file on in a USB drive in a safe or something, right? Like a way to like have some sort of way to recover from a full device failure or full cloud uh, access failure, right? So escrow failure essentially. Like if you fail the escrow process, like you don't want to be shit out of luck. That's that's a really, really, really shitty situation. Because pa- passwords are shitty, but passwords are easy to uh, move around. Like you can store them in various secure ways and easy to like, you can have secure vaults for passwords and you can easily move those vaults around using file managers and stuff. So passwords... Well, and I say, say, say on the Mac side, luckily too, you have time machine backups, right? So you can at least on a Mac back it up to an external drive, even if you lose access to your account. I don't know, like, I guess for the iOS side, no one does it, right? But in theory, since they are going to be portable... You could export whatever file bundle this is, right? Plug in an external drive on the iPhone or iPad and, and you know, keep a copy there, put it in the safe. Yeah, this, that's, it all depends on how well that is like implemented, how well exports and imports are implemented and how portable these, these files are going to be. Like, and that is the big, big question with passkeys and web authors, uh, really. Like, I, I would love to have a world where phishing becomes less of a problem because phishing is a very, 
very real problem for, for a lot of users, uh, for sure, especially non-technical users are more likely to fall for phishing-related uh, problems. So I, I like this is a, if we can solve phishing, uh, that would be great, but it, we need to be very careful as to as to like make this path sort of as easy as and seamless as possible. Uh, that is that is the concern with web authentication. Uh, so we finally get to the hardware. <laughs> an hour After, over an hour ha- over an hour. Uh, so we have a few three hardware things. To really, I mean three two actual hardware and one processor. Uh, so we have a new Apple. Uh, Silicon chip. Uh, we have uh, the M2 uh, coming to uh, the new MacBook Air, uh, MacBook Air 2022, and a, a Mac 13-inch MacBook Pro uh, also getting the Apple M2 chip. So what is the biggest difference between... Uh, okay, I know what... I mean, biggest difference between the M1 and the M2 is um, you get... You, you, get, you, you have... Higher max uh, RAM count up to twenty four gigabytes. Uh, M one is sixteen gigabytes, right? Um, no, M one is is it sixteen? Is it sixteen? Yeah, M one sixteen. It's M one Pro and M one Max that support more. Okay, uh, so M one is sixteen. Uh, it also has. Uh, does it have uh, more core uh, core counts for? 10-core GPU, higher-clock GPU. Um, it's also a little bit more uh, thermal-efficient. And it also has the ProRes Media Engines from the Pro iPhones and also the um, M1 Pro, M1 Ultra um, devices. Sadly, those video encoders do not support AV1, which is weird. Like, I mean, yes, H.265, AV1 are very close, right? They're very close. A- you could, It is technically incorrect, but I am okay saying, you know, AV1 is the open, open, you know, licensed version of H.265. So makes, they don't really need to have it, but I, I am, I'm not saying this is the year of the AV1, but I'm saying if you buy a computer nowadays, in a few years, most web content will be AV1, right? Like we are getting to the cusp of AV1 being the future. So it's weird that Apple doesn't support it because usually pretty forward facing in their video codec support. But outside of this, it's a, you know, about 20 to 40% depending on the situation improvement over M1, which I guess people were like, some people are disappointed in that. I mean, A, this is the MacBook Air, so we have thermal constraints to worry about. And and B, like, I don't think the M1 was slow by any means. No, like, it's not. That- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is. If, if anything, it's, I mean, for performance per watt, like, it is an incredible chip. And if this improves the performance... Uh, factor by even a small percentage. It's, I mean, it's not a large percentage. With, with the same battery draw, right? Like, you know, that's fine. Like, I think we get to the desktop-based chips, right? The M1 Pro or M2 Pro, rather, the Ultras. We have a different conversation on performance then. But given that this specific chip was designed for battery efficiency over all else, I'm okay with these changes. Uh, there are there are even uh, there are cache increases, cache uh, like I think L2 cache. I forget what the exact numbers are. I, I don't remember the exact like cache uh, numbers, but the cache uh, amounts are increased. Um, there is more memory bandwidth, uh, which oh, it's um, it is um, 16 megabytes of L2 cache. Yes, which is uh, I think I think the M1 has eight. I forget actually. 12 okay so it is it is actually 64 megabytes it doesn't seem like a lot but for l2 cache that's actually not insane that is actually fairly significant uh, because l2 cache is very expensive 
dot like you have to put it on the die, right? Like it is it's called SRAM. You put it on the die, like it is expensive to make. Uh and uh you can only have a very small amount of it because you are using the rest of the die space for your memory controllers. Uh because of the fifty percent more memory battery doesn't come from uh just uh, Yeah, this is a physically bigger chip. Physically than the M1. like twenty billion transistors. I, I like I mean that number doesn't really mean anything to anybody actually. Like the but it is a lot of like a lot of space being used for for, for I mean there's also the neural engine. Uh obviously. The neural engine is faster. I don't know how much that matters to people most of the time. Well, I think it matters mostly for Mac OS features, right? Like live text and spotlight search, right? Because it's an OCR recognition. So I think it's like background tasks benefit a lot from from having it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Um, so Emt, although sadly only one external display support still. Yeah, that. Uh, so you get like what one six K external display? Is that like the maximum? Which is the same as M um, one. Which I guess I so. This is sort of the thing where I think for me and you, multiple monitors matters a lot. But how many people even plug their laptops into more, one monitor as is if it's not like a TV, right? I mean, personally, I don't plug my laptop into any monitor. So I like I actually don't give a fuck about this. Like, personally, I don't give a fuck. But like the Mac Mini is a different story where some people might want three monitors for it. But for laptops, like I, I guess most people like like, for example, the iPad Pro, right? Who the fuck is hooking up their iPad Pro to an external display? No one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, probably probably not many, very many people, I imagine. Uh, and I think this is a trade-off made because the the I think most of the die space on this die was being used for the memory increase, memory bandwidth increases, the memory controller and the, the neural nets and the and the encode and decode like the memory, so like the RAM. Uh, like they they decided, I guess they don't they didn't really need to upgrade the ability, like the bandwidth, sort of lanes or whatever for the external display end of things. Uh, like yeah, like I mean, like oh no, I think for a portable computer or Mac Mini style computer, I think this is a fine. I I don't I don't have any big complaints with with what they're aiming for. Personally, I'm, I think the trade off is, I think there are certainly trade offs made here. Like so, it's a sort of. Makes sense. But like the M2 Pro and the M2 Ultra will solve that, right? Like that. Yeah, the M2 Pro, M2 Ultra, I'm really curious what they're going to do, like what, what the sort of performance. And the new Mac Pro, of course, right, is going to be M2 based now because they already announced the M2. So that's going to be interesting, too, to see what kind of chip they make for that. That is, I, that is interesting. Yeah, I, I'm really curious what they're going to do with the, with the Mac, with the Mac Pro. I, we are expecting a Mac Pro at some point is this going to probably be this year right i i, I it has I, to be this year because they said earlier that you know at the um what event the mac studio event right they're like the last product is a mac pro and they're gonna do they said it's for another day so that's going to be coming sometime soon but speaking about hardware let's get to the macbook air macbook air so um they changed the design of the macbook air to be uh more like the macbook pro design right like more like the sort of sort of the more rounded unibody uh, like blocky design right which i like actually i think that's a, that's a good design um so it is it is but it is just it's still very thin right it is just 11.3 millimeters thin and it's only 2.7 pounds uh which is is extremely still extremely light and it's still extremely thin uh, uh still and then the thing that we get with this new design is also color choices. Uh, we get, in addition to silver and space gray, we get two new finishes, uh, midnight and starlight. And I gotta say, 
That midnight is hot. That midnight is ha- very good. I, I'm a huge. Meanwhile, I'm on the other cap. I've actually been a fan of the Starlight color. Um, the iPhone and the iPad I have are both um Starlight. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's that's like the white one, right? Like that's like the sort of like yeah, yeah. It's like the it's like for the iPhones, it's a replacement for white, and um, they still have the silver one. But if I was to get one of this, I would totally get it in Starlight. Yeah. Uh, so it also has uh, it, it MagSafe is returning to the MacBook Air, so you now can plug in uh, a dedicated. You have a dedicated charging port that is MagSafe, and you plug it into the MagSafe, Air, which means that you essentially get a port, port fr- a port, yeah, <laughs> port, a port free, right? You can you, can, you now have two USB C ports that you can plug in other accessories into without one being taken up by a charging cable, right? Um, which is nice. Which is cool. Good. That's great. I mean, that's good. That's, um, that is always good. Um, also, a 3.5 millimeter jack is still present, uh, audio jack. Which supports the high impedance which headphones is, I think the MacBook saying, Pro. I, this is, this is the thing. This, they keep using the word high impedance headphones, and I'm always just like, who is this for? Like, who is this audience that is just like plugging in like high impedance headphones to their MacBook Air? I mean, it ex- you listen, hold on a minute. There are, there are totally audiophiles who do not want any noise, right? That you would get with the fans of a MacBook Pro that would probably buy a MacBook Air just for like the listening rooms, right? Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I, I forgot. Yeah, it's fanless. It's a fanless design. So, you know. I mean, I would still get a nice. I mean, I feel like those people still buy a deck, like an audio interface. Like I don't know. But what about when you're on the go, right? You true, know, you're, true. let's say you're on the bus, true, and true. you say "fuck the world," so you're bringing out your old Senny's, the HD six hundred, <laughs> right? You're saying "fuck the world," right? You're gonna blast that. You're gonna blast that that Hollow Live music, you know, with your open backs on Jesus the bus. Christ, you need the flax. Do not do you that. Need the flax to blast your whole. Do not music. do not do that on the bus. If you're if you're listening and you. If you're listening to music on the bus, please use close back headphones uh, or earbuds. Uh, please listen, don't... listen. Audio quality, audio quality, <laughs> bro. I can't, I can't sacrifice on that baby. You can't. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, okay. He's getting kicked off of the Toronto subway because he's listening to anime music on his son. Uh, absolutely. On the gotta, MacBook Air. Yeah, absolutely. Get kicked off of TTC, bro. So, MacBook Air also has the other hardware sort of change here is the new 1080p. FaceTime HD camera uh, on with the, a notch display, right? That's with a notch, notch as well. With a notch, with a notch. Notch is coming to the MacBook Air, uh, which I don't like. Uh, whatever, man. I, like, I, it's it's fine. fine. I guess it's fine, right? It's fine. Um, it is sort of weird that the MacBook Air is getting a better camera than the studio display. Um, it's a, it's a little bit weird. Um. So also, it has a new keyboard from the 16-inch MacBook Pro, which is a good keyboard. Oh, is that is that that's the good keyboard, right? Okay. Uh, and it has a bigger trackpad as well, which um, you know, I I don't know anyone who asked for the trackpad to be bigger, but okay. I don't know if that's like a. I don't know. If, I mean, that's fine. It doesn't really like sure. Uh, and also, I mean, we mentioned this earlier, but the M2's uh, RAM ceiling is up to 24 gigabytes, which means that you do can get a MacBook Air with 24 gigabytes of RAM, which uh, is cool, I guess. I would I would argue if you need 24 gigabytes of RAM, you probably want a computer with a fan in it. Like if you actually need that much RAM, right? Oh, a MacBook Pro, right? Like a 16, a 16, a 16 inch MacBook Pro, right? Like that's that's what you get the 16 inch MacBook Pro. <laughs> and speaking of MacBook Pro, this is the weirdest computer. I, I like this, this. I don't know why this computer exists. To be honest, and why it exists with it. Okay, so you have a 13 inch MacBook Pro with an M2 chip in it. So, but it's still the same design from before. 
and it has a touch bar and no magsafe it doesn't it doesn't get a new camera either so this is just very it's a very strange computer like right like this is the, why does this why does this exist in the lineup like i don't understand why this exists in the lineup like why is the 30 yeah it's very very weird that we have a laptop that's essentially like why would you okay no one should buy this is what we're saying no one should buy this. I don't understand why this exists. Are there people who are really into the touch bar? Please add me if you are. I, I really want to hear from you what your touch bar workflow is. Because I don't know why. Because Apple clearly does not want to improve on the touch bar. They have not improved on the touch bar since it came out. Really. So I, I don't understand why this iteration of the MacBook, MacBook Pro exists. When the 14-inch MacBook Pro is right there. Why would you not? Is it just pricing? Like, yes, is there a price difference? Sure. But at the same time, the the performance gap between this and the $100 less MacBook Air, it's it's the kind of workflows where you would probably benefit from a 14 inch MacBook Pro to begin with, right? Because of the more ports and more RAM. Because you, like what? You're doing video rendering? You should probably get an M1 Pro. You're doing any kind of like graphics work? Better GPU, right? Like, it. yes, you avoid the thermal throttling, but for all the other trade-offs, it's not worth it. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a strange computer in the lineup, honestly, in the street, in the portable Mac lineup, especially. Just a baffling, baffling decision to have this in there. Like everybody's like this is not a this is not a hot take from just from us. It is in the Apple world as well. Everybody's just baffled by the existence of this 13 inch MacBook Air Pro. So the question is though, are you gonna buy the new MacBook Air? Pizza looks nice. Um <laughs> It's tempting. Uh, it's tempting to buy, but I, especially for the color, like that color is hot. But like, I, it's not really worth it. It doesn't really make sense. I, I I'm not gonna benefit from the performance increases. Like, really, I mean, M1 is more than enough for what I, what I, what the, I need my laptop to be able to do. Like, what I need my laptop to do is mostly like web browser and SSH and run Slack. Like, it can still do that on the M1 just fine. Uh, I don't, I don't need, I don't need an M2 for that, and I won't really benefit from more like having MagSafe or or out of the or the better camera. So it doesn't really like it's tempting. I mean, it's it's very tempting to trade it in and get get the new one, but you know, probably not. Probably. We'll see. Yeah. Also, what I would say is um, we're going to go back to your biggest bugbear RAM counts. You know, I get it at this point. They're probably never going to start with 16 gigs of RAM. But I honestly think I think nowadays they should at least start at 12. I think 12 is a happy middle ground for, for a laptop. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I agree. Uh, like just i mean i just make it 16 just 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 start but i mean if not 16 at least 12 like i wouldn't complain about 12 i'd be like 12 you know okay fair enough i think 12 is fine for like when the ipad pro that cost less has more ram than this we got some problems yeah that's uh please let's uh let's let's up the base uh base amount of ram apple let's this is it's getting a little weird at this point like most most Windows laptops are probably shipping with 16 gig minimum, right? Like the surfaces are now shipping with 16 gig minimum, right? I forget. I don't remember. But, you know, please, we need, we need more. Like 16 gigs is not a lot anymore, to be honest, especially with how, uh, how everything is a web app now and everything uses like a gazillion gigabytes of RAM. Um, so, you know, uh, so that is, uh, Mac OS. Do we, I think, uh, there are a couple networking related talks. I won't really go into them, to be honest, because I have like a mild headache. Don't want to explain more networking stuff, uh, right now. But yeah, there's some talks about networking stuff that everyone should watch. Um, 
outside of that, the Xbox with as a showcase starts in half an hour. So next week's going to be gaming. It's about it. In fifth, I was about to say about this. I got a I got a notification that the Waypoint stream is live, and they're gonna be talking over the Xbox showcase. Uh, yeah, so we got you know the, games will be next. Games week. will this be week next will be week. All... Yes, games will be next week. We will have all the hashtag not E three Jeff Keeley coverage uh, coming coming to you next week. Sorry, it's hashtag key three. But um, I guess overall to wrap up, just thoughts about WWDC. I think these software changes are. Small ones that are nice and do not upset me. So I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Most of the changes are small. and are Well, outside of system settings. That's system settings. That. Yeah, the system settings uh, need some thought. But otherwise, I think it's going to be a fairly, fairly uh, sort of not too, like, uh, not too, I hope there are not too many bugs in the, in the stable releases. That's all I'm going to say is that I hope there are no, I still I still have flashbacks to iOS 13 uh, release, bro. I, uh, that was a bad one. That yeah. was that was bad. I, I just hope we don't get another bad bad release. The betas are pretty rough, but the betas are all betas are usually rough. So you know, if you're not a developer, as as always, I will caution you this: if you are not an iOS or Mac OS developer, do not install the developer betas. It is not for you, and especially if you, if you install it on your main device and you lose data, that is entirely your fault. Please do not do that. Uh, also, you can install HomePod betas this year if you really want to hate yourself. What? Why? Why does that even have? Okay, okay, sure, whatever. Let's 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 wrap this up. Let's as, wrap this up. up. <laughs> I don't even. I didn't even need to know that. Uh, let's wrap this up. As do not install developer betas if you're not a developer. Right? It's, it's your own device. Um, don't put them on your HomePod. Also, <laughs> do not. Yeah, do not install it on your HomePod, especially because if you brick your HomePod, guess what? You're mailing it to restart. There's yeah, no way to absolutely. do it. Hundred percent. Uh, so as always, show notes, uh, with all the links that we talk about, all the stuff that we talk about, bunch of links in there with videos and, and stuff like that, uh, at two shades of brown.com. And as, as always, email us at contact at two shades of brown.com with your feedback. Are you a, uh, maybe if you're iOS, uh, Mac OS developer, let us know if you're an indie game developer who has thoughts on code signing. Also do let us know, I guess. Please, no, please don't. <laughs> do not let me know. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> do, do not let Christian know. You can let me know. I'll be fine. Uh, you can add me on Mastodon at packetcat at tinforward.social. Uh, you can also find me on my website, sadiksafe.com, and you can, where do people find you on the internet to not add you about code sign? So super duper quick. It's been a year since I've had the AirPods Max. Um, all I would say is it's a very weird thing that firmware can make headphones go from kind of wonky to really good. I had to replace them once for what I thought was a hardware issue, but no. A firmware update actually came by and fixed all the problems I was having with it. So it was mostly connectivity problems or sometimes they would fail to wake from sleep, which is the weirdest thing to say about your headphones, but because they, they sort of automatically power and all of that. Um, also, sound quality is still great. Um, I love the replaceable ear cups because of how washable it is. Um, you know, I can never recommend anyone buy AirPods Max, but um, I would say, you know, if you're going to spend $500 on headphones, if you don't do like the blue, I would say this, the Sony WH whatever's, are whack you should buy wired headphones instead but if you don't wireless headphones i would get either the pro gamer headphones Satic has or the airpods max which are about 500 dollars. Yep. those two are the top contenders for wireless headphones <laughs> but um outside of that you know um because i need to go eat lunch real quick before this xbox with as a showcase uh at chose to find at twitter.xyz chose find out website and until next week computers are fun and useful goodbye <laughs>